All right, welcome back to the Park Hills podcast. If you want more information about Park Hills, just go to our app, go to our website, parkhillschurch.com. There's all kinds of stuff there. We'd love to meet you there. We look at the words of Paul here, not not just in chapter four of Colossians, but all the way through it. But him the him uh, placing his emphasis on continues steadfastly in prayer, being watchful with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray for us that a door may open. Again, you know, if you were a contemporary of Paul's and you think of people who need prayer, you might be like, that guy doesn't need prayer. You know, mm-hmm. he's like this amazing guy, but what he's communicating here is, yes, I need prayer, and we all need prayer. And, you know, Chris, I think sometimes well-planned and well-strategized gospel initiatives that are led by good leaders who are capable or good volunteers or whatever fail because prayer too often is absent mm-hmm. or minimized within it. And that, that's been a hard lesson for me to learn over the years too, because you know my nature. I'm a doer. I'm a, I want to get things done. I want to check the box. I want to um, move things from the to-do pile to the done pile mm-hmm. so that I can feel good about the day. And prayer is one of those things that, yeah, you got to keep doing. And so it's hard to move away from the practical things that, um, you know, the tyranny of the urgent kind of thing, the things that must be done. And people go, why didn't you do them? Well, I was praying. <laughs> but so it's it's a hard thing. But I think, you know, Paul's words here just remind us that we have to be praying. And I, I know I remember feeling so convicted about this a few years back when I was just thinking about how much formalized prayers happening Mm -hmm. at Park Hills. And I remember just praying through that and the Lord just bringing um, Steve Glaze to my mind about initiating Mm -hmm. our prayer team. And I still remember going out to lunch with him and and, uh, presenting that challenge, sort of a, almost in a military commander sort of sense, be leader of the prayer force, you know. And um, and to to see him take that and to pray about that and then run with it the way he has and then to um, assemble a team of people who really unite around this this mission of prayer. It, it doesn't negate the fact that I have to be praying on my own. You have to be praying mm-hmm. your ministers. We all do. But it's such a neat thing to know that there are people going, we don't have any other boxes to check. There's, there's nothing else we have to do within this realm of ministry other than pray. And, right. And we, we're going to be as creative as we can about it. And really, you were there when, when the first 40 days idea mm-hmm. came to came to light. And it sprang off of an idea that, that Steve and Kathleen Glaze came with. And it, it morphed into something as great as that was. And, and even now, as we're reading through the Bible together, there's this sort of unity in the process right. of 
we're going to go to go to the word together and then that's going to lead us uh, it's going to inform our prayers it's going to inform the direction of the church and what a great uh uniting thing and i think our our northwestern cult our, our north american cult, culture that just says you've got to do and do and accomplish and accomplish and succeed it is really prayer prohibitive in its nature because um if we were praying these great amounts, we're not going to run around going, hey, I prayed three hours today. Mm-hmm. You know, give me an award or give me the badge. You know, I'll wear the patch. So it's kind of a it's, – it's it should be understated in, mm-hmm. the, in a sense of humility. But it's at the same time, you get all the credit, if you will, for the things you achieve and the things that, that are organized and the – papers you produce or the whatever you know the programs that are organized and uh and that really works in the face it flies in the face and goes against the very things we're actually trying to accomplish is you know we're not just trying to build programs or or or, uh have things look a certain way we're trying to disciple people and to reach people and to the idea that we could do that without prayer is just crazy yeah i think i we've both seen situations where you look at something and you go there's no reason why that wouldn't succeed, and then it totally flops. Yeah. And then you realize, well, they weren't really praying. They weren't surrendering to yeah. the Lord. And on the flip side, I've seen things that, for all intents and purposes, should totally fail, <laughs> <laughs> that that rise above what is expected, and you really get to the bottom of it, and you find out, you know, I'm making an example up at the moment, but, you know, you imagine a little widow in her living room just praying and praying and praying, and the Lord yeah. makes something beautiful happen out of that that just, you know, shouldn't be. So yeah, prayer is a, a beautiful thing. Paul knew it. Paul, I think, was a prayer warrior, and I think Paul surrounded himself with prayer warriors. Or perhaps another way to put it was Paul discipled people to be prayer warriors, which is really cool. And then you watch his ministry do what it did, and I think everybody goes, man, look at how God used Paul. That wasn't an accident. Paul surrendered himself to the Lord. It reminds me of there's a, so many great stories of the, over the years, but one of them was a, you know, a seminary president who was traveling around the country doing speaking engagements and things in places. And someone said, you know, he was talking to a student at a conference and the student said, I'm just too busy to pray. And he's like, oh, I'm too busy not to pray. And he, yeah. he had totally rearranged his entire life so that he had hours with God before he goes and does anything. And, uh, you know, that, that was really convicting for me early on how much or how little, I guess, I, I pray. And so it definitely helped me restructure things in my life and, and rethink how I do things and how I pray and how much I pray and how I, you know, what words I use or don't use or when it gets too rote or too memorized for me, mm-hmm. you know, push, push, pushing pause and kind of redoing things and going in a different direction. And the first 40 days was great for that, just kind of yeah. to step back and realign and reset. Uh, and what's amazing is we were both kind of in a dry spell spiritually mm-hmm. and 40 days kicked it. And got us going. Yeah. And then I, you know, I'll admit shortly after the 40 days were over, I just kind of got in a funk again. And it was, it was. It Not was, me. I've been on a oh, spiritual high plane ever spiritual since. Spiritual high, yeah. No. <laughs> no, it's been good. But mountain yeah, peak experience. But it was good to kind of even reset in, you know, in the last couple of weeks and just remember, oh yeah, yeah, I need to be, I need to be praying more. If, you, if you're doing that, that's kind of the best way to start your day. I think within this, Chris, really what he's asking for in those first few verses of chapter four really lend themselves to what to what he's talking about in in seven through the rest of the chapter in that it's about his people 
And what's interesting is, you know, he's saying, pray for me that I may have the open door to declare the mystery of the gospel and be steadfast in prayer. And then he shifts into that whole subject of talking about his people. And I think a, a good question to, for us to ask ourselves along the way is, is the question, who are your people? Mm-hmm. And really, as I think about my faith, uh, my, my journey of faith, there, God has allowed me to have, not to use a simplistic phrase, but my people in all of those segments of time. And yes, there were non-Christians in my world in, in all those times. But if I'm honest, those weren't my people. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're my people because I care about them, I had friendship with them, whatever that connecting point was that hopefully led to an explanation of the gospel and, and even uh, friends coming to faith. But there's this undergirding of my people, meaning people of faith, people that I'm investing in or that are investing in me, or I feel like we're just fellow soldiers in a battle. And boy, you need those people. And in whatever way we're connecting with those people, um, we need them so bad. And and really, I think Paul's words kind of speak to that here uh, of, you know, how valuable someone who's been a comfort to me or blessed me or whatever. And uh, for fear of talking about COVID again, <laughs> you know, that's what's been so hard on people is to lose that connectedness with your people. Right. The people who you know are going to speak good words into your world or encourage you or ask you genuinely how you're doing um, that maybe you would meet on a Sunday and maybe you don't see as often during, you know, during regular life. And that connectedness is something we need so bad. And that's that's where him, you and I, I know have had countless hours of discussion about it because we do want to be seen as sensitive to the world around us. We don't want people to get sick or, or even die because right. of the decisions we make here. But we also know uh, people are suffering in so many other ways because they're losing that connectedness. And, and then I think even a worse element of this is when believers who were connected now become divided because of (laughs) wear a mask, don't wear a mask, um, you know, political issues and stuff. And it's like, whoa, now now effort we should be putting into reaching unbelievers. We're now putting into restoration or rebuilding of connectedness with godly people that it shouldn't have to be rebuilt. There should be enough Mm -hmm. grace within that. That's not to say we don't learn from each other and grow from each other in all these discussions, but boy, the enemy is just loves to work. And boy, if he can divide, if he, if he can disconnect God's people, he knows he's he's sort of bringing some of that power away from them because they're encouraged by each other, motivated toward uh, love and good works, and and instead they're home, you know, stewing about some mm-hmm. issue or something. And boy. Uh, shame on us when we let that happen, you know? Yeah. And I think that's actually compounded the problem this year, right? The, the idea that you're stuck at home with nothing but your thoughts. So you dwell and you dwell and you dwell, and then something happens or something is said or something is done that you don't necessarily agree with. And you just do on it and you think about it as opposed to just stopping and talking to the person. 
but you don't even know if you can even contact them anyway. So what's the point? You know, it's just yeah. Like I, I've I've dealt a lot with this year with even in my own heart. Just why did that person make that decision? And then I instead of doing things biblically, which mm-hmm. would be sitting together and talking about it, you know, I'm I'm jumping into conclusions, make assumptions. Yeah, and I'm letting things go as opposed to, you know, one of the things I've noticed this year is how fragile trust is, uh, both from people's perceptions of leadership and vice versa, you know, leadership's expectations of people and how fragile just we are in general. You know, you remove people from your life for a period of time. I've been amazed how broken people get. Yeah. And so I think about, you know, this list at the end of Colossians 4 and what you're saying is Paul had these group of people around him that were really just wonderful and they built each other up. You've almost got this posse of... Mm -hmm super hot spiritual fervor, you know, and they're building off of each other and making things better. And I've been mourning that this year, partly that we don't have, you know, we've been disconnected from each other for any number of reasons. And I I feel like we've all suffered for that. You know, we've all suffered from not having people, you know, to speak into our life and to grow us. And it just reminds me this, this thing is a community effort. It's supposed to be something that by God's design. Yeah, it's like God's family was designed to help each other become better disciples over and over and over again. And I wonder, you know, how much how much we've lost over the last 9 or 10 months. Um because even if you know, even if we would have never had to go virtual for a period of time, we still would have lost connection with a great number of people. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's people that are at risk that have no desire to go out in public. And so they're, they're watching us online and we totally understand that there are people who, you know, don't feel comfortable being in a place with, without a mask on. And so they, you know, they would rather stay home. We have people who, you know, would like to be here, um, without a mask on and they can't, you know, they, they just can't figure out why, you know, things would be set up the way they are. Then there's the political pressure and all this kind of stuff. And, and in the middle of all of that is you're lo- you're losing out on relationships. You're losing out on people. Mm-hmm. And I hope people walk out of this, you know, whenever this is over, 2030, 2040, somewhere in there. Be an optimist. Oh, optimistic. Okay. 2029. 2029, yeah. <laughs> 2028. Uh, no, I mean, whenever this is done, and I'm hoping, you know, this year we can look back on it eventually and kind of laugh at it at some point in 2021. Um but, you know, I, I'm hoping that we look back and go, man, I just really missed community. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping it actually stokes the fire for people to go, I, I want to be a part of, of something and, and something yeah. bigger than myself. And, and, you know, my hope is that Park Hills is the answer for a lot of us. But we'll see. It will really depend on the, each individual's heart as they come out of it. Or even, even now, I mean, it's a, these are heart issues. And yeah. we want to make them about other people. We want to make it about COVID. We want to make it about rules. It's not. This is a hard issue. Mm-hmm. It absolutely is. And sin is sneaky. And, yeah. And it, it seeps in and does things that you don't expect. And some of us who thought ourselves mature found ourselves this year actually being less mature than we thought we were, whether we're willing to admit it yet to ourselves or not. I'll admit it. Yeah. There. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. Like I, I was throwing myself in there, but I, there are other people hopefully listening to this going, oh, I never even thought that maybe I'm less mature than I thought I was. And, you know, I'm panicked about this or I'm doing this or, or whatever. You know, the last little piece of this passage that I wanted to just kind of point out is verse six. I love how Paul says, let your speech always be gracious, 
seasoned with salt so that you may know how to how you ought to answer each person and i think we read that and uh i know some people when they read seasoned with salt they think of like if you had a wound and you <laughs> rub salt in it <laughs> so they they take this as i'm going to walk around rubbing salt in people's wounds and i'm going to that's how i'm going to talk and i'm going to be seasoned with salt that is not what paul's talking about what he's saying is i want your speech to be gracious i want people to look at you and go man that's the most kind loving, unmerited favor, gracious type person I've ever met. And seasoned with salt in the ancient world is nothing tasted good without salt. You needed salt. And so really what the, what the idea there is, and I'm going to use a, I'm going to mix a metaphor here. Paul's saying, I want you to pepper your language. Right, see what I did there? Oh, yeah, with, did. with salt in such a way that everybody loves being around you and really your speech makes them better. Mm-hmm. Even if you're in, even if you're, uh, you know, pushing them toward a direction that you want them to think through, we do it in such a way that really encourages people. And I, this is an art that the church doesn't always get right. You know, there's a lot of times where people want to confront one another, and we and we get ugly. We get really ugly, and we don't take this verse as seriously as we should. Where we step back and we choose graciousness in our speech, graciousness in our actions, seasoned with salt, so that we would answer each other properly and actually build one another up as opposed to tearing one another down. You know, if we were to write this today, and Paul would have never done this because he's not, you know, he's Jewish, and so he would have never said what I'm about to say. But, you know, how everyone says everything's better with bacon, right? You know, yeah. that's kind of what Paul's saying without saying bacon because that's, you know, not kosher and there's a whole <laughs> bunch of problems with that. But, you know, let your speech always be gracious, uh, you know, seasoned like bacon. You know, if, if bacon makes like everything bacon. better, <laughs> shove bacon in your speech. Uh, you know, it's, it's ridiculous. But... That's the idea is, is everything should be better. And I think if we had more Christians that prayed, like we started with this, this podcast, if we had more Christians that, that were spending more time just asking the Father for guidance and leading, if we had more Christians that were committed to community, and you know, I have a closing thought on that in a few minutes, and then on top of that, if we had people that just were gracious with their speech, and if they were, if we had, if that was happening, man, God would do something with that movement, no matter how many, you know, how many people or how few people God would do something great. I think graciousness too, like in these times, you know, my knee jerk response to various things that either I read on social media or I hear people say, my, the knee jerk response or the thing that comes to my head that I want to respond with is often maybe a sarcastic thought or a are you, you got to be kidding me kind of thought. Um, and that graciousness slows down and says, okay, let's, let's, let's be understanding. Let's be patient. And I think the other side of that season with salt too is, is it was a preservative. And I, I think there might be that idea here too, of let, let your speech be something that makes a long-term impact mm-hmm. with your, because you're gracious and you're saying something that's worth remembering, you know, it might stay around a while. That's good. I like it. So to close this concept, you know, the, the Colossians was so good. such a, honestly, it was a welcome follow to Revelation. I loved <laughs> Revelation. It was so much fun. Too. But it was also good to get into a Paul letter again and just dive and dig deep in a few verses at a time. But the thought I want us to think about as we kind of close Colossians here, because this is really what Paul's asking for in the book of Colossians. When we think about community and we think about church, I don't know about you, but there's a lot of people that I know that struggle with this. And at times I struggle with it too. You know, what exactly is church? And part of that is 
really what church is, is it's a community of people who have leaders that have been appointed to lead that group of people. So shepherds, we use word pastor or elder. And those individuals aren't in charge to dominate or to push around the sheep, but everyone is supposed to sort of love one another and and be guided through it. And with that said, being a leader in a local church is one of the most difficult things in the world because every decision that you and I make, every thought that we have, every question we're asked, every time we're thinking about sermons and everything else, we're trying to carefully, lovingly guide the sheep along with us, right? It's not a, you know, top down, you must do what I say kind of thing. But at the same time, a lot of times what the sheep do is they don't give the benefit of a doubt back to leadership and they just kind of float away and do their own thing. And and really, if you're reading the scriptures really closely, what, what a church is, is a community of people who understand that none of us are really ever always going to get it right. And we love each other enough to walk through it, even if things don't line up the way we'd like them to, which Paul uses pictures like marriage. And I don't know about you, but my wife and I don't always agree on everything, but we've stayed married because we are committed to that, that idea. We want to grow together and we want to develop. And that's really what church is as well. It's an idea that we are mutually uh, caring for one another in such a way that we're willing to walk through the deepest valleys and we're willing to climb to the highest mountains to get to, to see God do things. So at times, you know, leadership will make decisions that we may not agree with. The best way to handle that is to voice it and talk it through and maybe realize that our assumptions are wrong or maybe realize that leadership didn't think that one through and they need to go back and rethink it. Uh, we, we spend so much time in this country kind of just hopping around doing whatever we want to do as opposed to choosing to commit to a community all the way through and, and yeah. really figure out what it looks like. So I'm not asking for blind you know, loyalty here and that's not even what I'm advocating for. But what Paul's saying to the Colossians is you need to put on the right clothes, love each other, get through it, and understand that none of us are always going to agree on everything. And that's okay. It's Church is is not supposed to just be a thing where if you don't get what you want, you go take your ball and go home. It's supposed to be something that we are mutually growing and the Spirit's guiding us to maturity and we're growing together and leading together uh, and we're trying to work that out. Yeah, we, we've been saying place of grace. Probably the better way of said, to have said that would be people of grace because it's not about this place. We've certainly learned that during COVID. But, yeah, it's true. I mean, I, I, I believe we are pretty faithful in trying to communicate that we who preach are just fellow sojourners. <laughs> yeah who struggle our way through things, have our victories and our times of, why did that go that way, you know? Yeah. But that's the beautiful thing about going back to that question, who are your people? Because your people in Christ will be with you in those good times and in those bad times. It's a cool thing. It's great.